Hi, and welcome to the Well Read Podcast, a bi weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, we've decided we're going to discuss books set in the Low Country where we live currently. Because yes. <laughs> we have, there are quite a few books that feature the Low Country. Yeah. Um, so we thought we would highlight some of those. And if you're listening from far away, you can get, if you read one of these, get a little bit of a taste of what it's like to live here. I'm always surprised at how many people want to read books set here like it makes sense to me but in this area that people would want to read books that are our local area but I can remember during my internship having people ask for low country books Mm -hmm. and I had to look up what is the low Low country country. (laughs) (laughs) but I love reading books about the northeast coast Mm -hmm. like Cape Cod Martha's Vineyard like that's that's really fun to me so I think it's probably the same thing it's getting a sense of a place that you don't go very often right I just because it was something I didn't yes. know existed what then. I had to figure that out. So when we talk low country, in my idea, it's Charleston through Savannah, basically. And okay. all the land in between. Is that... I think mine falls into that, yeah. I don't know if Savannah really counts, but... Well, I... one of my books is outside of Savannah, so... Okay. I, yeah, I would consider like Tybee and... Yeah, yeah, it's not any different than here, but I right. typically think that when people are talking... When I looked it up right. to, just for definition, then they're talking specifically South Carolina, but Savannah oh. isn't any different than... No, I mean, if you drew a line from Savannah to the east, that's where Hilton Head is, right. basically. Right, so. right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's... I mean, in my mind, it's all sort of low country. Yeah. yeah. For our purposes. For our today, purposes. Then. Yeah. But like Myrtle Beach isn't low country. No. No. Yeah. That's crazy talk. <laughs> Get out of there. But no, I'm just trying to put <laughs> geographic parameters around it. Like if you go that far north, that's yeah. not low well, country. Well, and I guess the, the specific definition is these specific counties, which Beaufort County is one of yes. them. And so Charleston doesn't even fall in that oh. specifically, hmm. but it's totally low country. Yeah. I think that, I mean, yeah. if you drive through, it looks the same really as yeah. here. Yeah. All right. What's your first one? Hit me. My first book is Swift Currents by David Bruce Graham. And this is a local author who did a great presentation for me at the library on the process of writing this book. And he said that before he retired, he had a long career in civil rights research and enforcement. And he was interested in telling uh, both the story of the end of slavery in Beaufort and in highlighting the shared history between blacks and whites in this area. And he had really inspiring things to say uh, during his presentation. So if you're local and you get a chance to hear him speak, then it's it's definitely worth checking out. The book begins in 1861, just after the start of the Civil War, and it centers around the um, life of an enslaved woman named Callie, who lived at the fictional Oakhurst Plantation on St. Helena Island, which is near Beaufort. It's really close, about 10 minute drive, I would say, mm-hmm. from, from Beaufort. Um, she's lived there her entire life. And St. Helena, I should say, is giant. It's mm. you, you sort of forget how big mm-hmm. it is because there's kind of one road that goes through mm-hmm. St. Helena from Beaufort to the beach. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the map, you realize that there's just incredible pieces of land that are, are included on the island but that you don't really see, but they're all off the beaten path and very, very beautiful. I used to work out there. So Callie has become sort of a leader among the slave community. Um, and she's known for her abilities to heal the sick. And she's also a cook for the plantation house. But she also is, is dealing with the the advances of the plantation owner who's named Daniel Bowen, and he's cruel and vindictive and really unpredictable in his moods. And so not only do the slaves fear him, but his family doesn't really know how to deal with him. 
but on September 7th, 1861, Union ships sailed into Port Royal Sound and they quickly occupied the area and all the plantation owners, including the fictional Bowen, but all the real plantation owners in this area basically deserted their land and left thousands of slaves there to fend for themselves and they're alone and free for the the first time in their lives. And I had never really thought about that Mm -hmm. when when you're studying uh, the Civil War in school and the history of slavery. Uh, maybe in areas besides uh, this one, but but where I'm from in Arizona, that we didn't talk about what happened afterward and the right. aftermath of of that transition from slavery to freedom. So in this book, even though the Battle of Port Royal is covered, the bulk of the book is talking about that that transition and what it would be like to have an entire social system disappear in a day, essentially. And um, to experience freedom for the first time, and that would include some of the struggles that would come from from having to to be your own person for the first time in your life. Um, and so in the book, Callie um, encounters some famous people that that we know from history, um, like Laura Town, who founded the Penn School on St. Helena, which was the first school for freed black slaves in the South, and Harriet Tubman, who lived in Beaufort for several years, in, or several months, I think. I don't think it was years. And she's she did some instrumental things in this area um, and also had a bakery in town, which I need to research some more because... This is very interesting to me. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, it was a pie shop. Interesting. Yeah. So I just it just touches on that. I need to learn a lot more about this information and do some like some vigils outside or yeah. something. I want to know where this happened. Um, I thought that the author, David Bruce Grimm, was particularly good at describing the natural beauty of the low country. There's a point where he uses the phrase silken waterways, which I thought was especially oh. perfect for, for the way... Um, the the vistas of the low country strike you and you can very clearly imagine the live oak trees with their their uh, spanish moss and the the marsh grasses rustling in the wind so i i when we were talking about doing this episode i wanted to talk about a book that that covers an aspect of the civil war that that is um maybe little known outside of this area but is really really just a, an important thing to think about. So that is Swift Currents by David Bruce Grimm. That sounds good. I have not read, I've not even heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first one is The Water is Wide by Pat Conroy. And pa- Pat Conroy is a very well-known author, and he's a Beaufort native who died just earlier this year at the age of 70 mm-hmm. and has written many novels. But this is actually a memoir of his first year out of school. Um, It's a year that he taught at a small school on Defusky Island. Um, In the book, he refers to it as Yamacraw Island, but its real name is Defusky. It's only accessible by boat and it's off of Hilton Head, but you can also get to Savannah from Defusky through waterways. And actually, I think it takes about equal amounts of time, Hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Just based on where like the boat docks are and stuff. So. Anyway, so after graduating from the Citadel in the 1960s and prior to becoming the bestseller, best-selling author he became, he Pat Conroy took a job as a teacher teaching 18 children between the ages of 10 and 13, all of whom were purported to be of like well-educated for the school, but in his opinion were undereducated, some of whom couldn't read or write very much or had any awareness that there was a world outside of their small island. Um, even today, I think Tavusky Island only has 400 full-time residents. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's very small. And as far as population, it's still, still only accessible by boat. Yes. Wow. 
Conroy takes it upon himself to try to widen the horizons of these kids in addition to teaching them reading and writing and mm-hmm. the actual school, school subjects, also to, to arrange trips to the mainland as well as to Washington, D.C., uh, and also bringing in guests to teach the children and, and just show them what the, how big the world is outside of what they knew. Um, and I should say many of the people that live on, lived on this island at the time were descendants of slaves, mm-hmm. and so they're had ended up here similar to your story Mm -hmm. um, had ended up here after the civil war and never left this island because they were surrounded by water. And the only way you could get off was by boat. Conroy's unconventional teaching methods brought both the principal of the school as well as the district's administration really down on him. They were not supportive at all. And he fought them tooth and nail to try to get support for these children and to to make the argument that these kids were being left out, basically, you know, that they were these poor black children and it was a time of desegregation and segregation of these huge fights. Unfortunately, he was unsuccessful in the fight and he left the post after just one year. Um, But this is, I think, what I took away from it is as much as he changed the kids' lives that he touched for that year by showing them, they really touched his life of what was an area that he didn't know much about and a culture that he didn't know much about. And it's a true portrait of a particular time and a very specific place, but it also brings up all these issues that were going on in the 60s with these, um, dece- like I said, segregation mm-hmm. and, and the way black people were treated, particularly in the South yeah. um, at the time. So it's really moving and engaging. It's also funny. He, some of the experiences he has with these kids will make you laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's called The Water is Wide by Pat Conroy. Okay, so my next book is The House on Trad Street by Karen White. And if you're not familiar with Charleston, Trad Street is in the heart of the wealthy and historic South of Broad neighborhood. These are incredibly expensive homes, and it's a gorgeous area to explore um, in a city that's already breathtakingly beautiful. But if you've if you've seen pictures of Charleston, probably it comes from this mm-hmm. neighborhood. The main character is a real estate agent named Melanie Middleton, and she is visiting Trad Street, the Trad Street home of uh, Mr. Vanderhorst, who has invited her to discuss the potential sale of his home. After uh, she gets there, they have kind of a strange conversation, and he avoids all of her real estate questions and insists that he knows that she saw a woman in the garden when she was approaching the house. And he keeps, he just keeps talking about this. And this makes Melanie really uncomfortable, mostly because she had seen someone, and she's kept it a secret for decades that she's able to see ghosts. But soon afterward, she is notified that Mr. Vanderhorst has died, and he has, in fact, left her his house. Uh, And she assumes that it's because of this conversation that she said the right things. But the provision is that she must live in it for a year and restore it using money that he left to her in his will um, before she's allowed to sell it for profit. And she's very annoyed by this. She, I think a lot of people would jump at the chance to live in a South of Broad home. I definitely would. But Melanie has always hated historical houses. She thinks that they're money traps and she doesn't understand the devotion that people feel to restoring them and to keeping them up. And she also um, doesn't get the sense that you're a caretaker of the history of this of this space. She just thinks this is thinks this is all completely ridiculous. But this is big news in Charleston, and so her picture is in the paper is in sort of the society happenings column as as the new inheritor of the space, and she's she's quickly approached by a handsome Charleston author of true crime books who's named Jack Trenholm, and he's interested in in solving an unsolved mystery that has surrounded this house throughout its history, or from I guess the early twentieth century I should say because it's a nineteenth century house. 
And the the mystery is that Mr. Hander, Mr. Vanderhorst's mother, Louisa, had disappeared suddenly when he was when Mr. Vanderhorst was a child in the 1920s, on the same night as a notorious Charleston scoundrel had disappeared. So society had always believed they had run away together. But Jack thinks that there may be more to the story than than has been believed for for several decades. And Jack asks Melanie if he can help with the restoration and, dis- and investigate this disappearance at the same time. So, of course, this is setting up a lot of sexual tension between these two characters that are he really believes in the history of the house and she doesn't care and they bicker a lot. And that's classic romance novel yes. setting. So um, but there's also another handsome man who is interested in Melanie's life and and in the house specifically. And so she's torn between them and, and doesn't really know what to do with herself in this situation. But both men have secrets of their own, of course. And Melanie has a past that is linking her somehow to the Vanderhorst in ways that she doesn't realize yet. When I went into this, I was thinking it was a mystery. And yeah, me too. Yeah, I I feel like I had heard of it as a mystery, but it's really more paranormal romance. Oh, okay. There's, there's a mystery element to it, but that's true of pretty much all books that there's an unsolved there's conflict and, mm-hmm. and it's it's not that much different than what you'd find in any other book there it isn't like they search for clues in the oh, okay. same way i mean i guess they they do but it seemed more romance to me mm-hmm. than than i had been expecting and there, because there's nothing yeah I, I just i don't know that i would call it a mystery if i were cataloging this and but but even though i would call it paranormal romance i don't think there's anything terribly spooky about it and the romance is very clean there's mm-hmm. nothing graphic at all so so it's really just people getting to know each other mm. i guess and the sparks that fly between them <laughs> um, but i thought it did a great job of capturing the small town feel of charleston even though we don't live in charleston uh-huh. i'm still have spent a lot of time there and i'm pretty aware that all the old families know each other's business mm-hmm. and that if there's a scandal in the 1920s that's something that would still be talked about today which is very different than how I grew up. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of fascinating to me. And this was a really fun light read. I actually did this as an audiobook, and oh. the, the author did a great job with the accents mm-hmm. and, and made it feel, it felt a lot like being there. I, I could picture everything really clearly. And she mentions all kinds of, of Charleston businesses and Charleston streets and things that, that are kind of like areas you'd go in. Yeah. And, and it was fun to to recognize things in the book, so which is really, really cool. Um, so if you, if you can't be in Charleston in person, this would be a great armchair travel read for, for anyone. And it's, it's just very cute. And that is The House on Trad Street by Karen White. Oh, and this is also the first book in a series, I should say, two. I think there's four in the series. Mm-hmm. All right. So my next one is sort of similar in that it's a local, lots of local landmarks and things mm-hmm. to to notice this is the bay tanner series by Catherine wall the first book is in for a penny and Catherine wall is very local she lives on hilton head and mm-hmm. i actually know her personally she's an author oh, cool. who would come into the library a lot do things for the library she came to my book club and stuff she's a lovely lovely woman mm-hmm. but i promise that I, m- I read her books before I'd ever met her. So uh, my, my opinion's still valid about these books. <laughs> uh, and she had a career actually as an accountant and then moved here with her husband oh, yeah. um, in e- early 2000s, late 90s um, and retired and decided she wanted to write some books. So I love her story. She self-published her first book and then a small regional publisher picked up her first book and 
gave her contract for her second book and published those. And then um, an editor with St. Martin's Press was visiting family in Beaufort and picked up one of her novels, went on vacation because they sold them in a lot of um, like stationery stores and local independent bookstores and things. And a month later, this editor called Catherine Wall and offered her a hardcover contract, which she had then for the next uh, maybe 10 books or eight books, something like that. Her series, which again starts with the book In for a Penny, is about a woman named Bay Tanner, who is a financial consultant, and her world is completely turned upside down when she witnesses her husband's horrific death. And so she comes to her home on Hilton Head to grieve and heal um, and just kind of be a recluse in her house and not have to deal with anybody. And then an old family friend requests her help in figuring out what is happening with an investment she made into a local development project which this, her family friend is realizing is completely draining her retirement fund. So because Bay has this uh, financial background, she wants her help in figuring out where the money is going and what happened. Uh, the mysteries remind me a lot of the Sue Grafton alphabet mysteries. Mm-hmm. So if you like those, I think that these are a perfect fit for you. They're not really cozy mysteries, I wouldn't say, but they also don't have an overabundance of violence or gore or anything like that. Um, they're fast paced and really interesting. And the local connection makes it them really fun to read. She describes, again, restaurants and places both in Hilton Head and in Beaufort because her father in the books lives in Beaufort. Mm-hmm. So she travels both back and forth between the two places. And one thing I really love about and appreciate about the series is that the characters and their relationships to each other evolve over the course of the books. So they're not static. There are some authors, I've talked about this before, that you can pick up number three of the series and number 15 of the series and the characters are basically in the exact same place in their lives. And this is not like that. They, They feel like real people because their lives the events of one book and what happens in their personal lives and professional lives affects mm-hmm. what happens later on. So yeah, with progression, progression, which is, which is so fun. good yeah. and surprisingly hard to find. Sometimes. Yes, it's really hard. Um, so again, that's in for a penny by Catherine wall. Cool. I've been meaning to read those for a long, long time. I think you would really I, yeah, like I'm them. excited. Yeah. And I will say just as a side note, I think you can see a difference between her first couple. And then when she gets picked up by a major publisher mm-hmm. and gets the maybe editing, yeah. the sort of, support that that she wants and just maybe I don't I don't know I felt that way yeah um not that the first two aren't good or anything like that yeah. it's just it's I more feel like you just polished exactly yeah. is the right word so cool it, you've raised it up higher on my <laughs> my reading list my as you know never ending You're reading never ending. list <laughs> okay so my my last book is Minnow by James E. McTeer II and similarly as Hallie said this is someone that I know personally the author is the son of a, a Beaufort County Library employee and I think if we had an episode about low country books without mentioning this book she would hunt me down and murder me she is a very huge advocate of <laughs> this this book and you're um, not being you're being literal <laughs> yeah oh yeah I would fear for my life <laughs> I love her to death, but she would kill me. Um, But I definitely chose to talk about this on my own without any prodding on her part. She didn't know until last week when I told her we were doing this episode that (laughs) I was I was talking about this book. So and she was thrilled and she can bring me cookies anytime. That'd be great. This won the first or the South Carolina First Novel Prize in 2014. And uh, that prize is sponsored by the South South Carolina Arts Commission. So it's been really exciting to follow this through uh, my coworker, from its publication to its critical recognition to the award, mm-hmm. and and that's been such a cool thing. Mm-hmm. I was I remember when she told me that it got a Kirkus Star re- yeah. review, and I just was I wiggling around. I was so excited for her because <laughs> it was it was just so cool to see this happening for for something that's so well deserved. 
Um, the book takes place in Beaufort, but it's called Newfort in the in the book. And pretty much every other place name is the same as real life. So, um, but this this has changed. And it follows the adventure of a boy named Minnow who's on a quest to get medicine for his dying father. Um, at the very beginning of the book, his mother sends him to into town t- uh, for a specific medicine. And the when he gets to the pharmacy, he's told that this is pretty much impossible to get. But maybe if he goes to the seedy part of town, which is the, the harbor of Port Royal, he can find a root worker named Dr. Crow who might have it. So Minnow starts out on his, his adventure. And once he finds Dr. Crow, he's told that his money isn't any good there and that he'll only be given the medicine if he finds the grave of a legendary witch doctor named Sorry George and brings um, Dr. Crow back some of his grave dust. This The, the grave is kind of it's out on on what we know would be St. Helena. It's not called that on the in the book, but no one really knows where it is. This is many, many years in the past that this person died. And so there's he kind of gives him very vague directions and says, find this person because they might know someone who might know where to go. So so really, Minnow is putting a lot of faith in his ability to figure this out. But in his desperation to save his father, he agrees to it and he embarks on the journey to the Sea Islands, which we would call St. Helena. And there's a part that takes place on Hunting Island, which is a, a state park in Beaufort. And he does this with a dog that follows him along the way from Port Royal. And along along his journey, he'll encounter all kinds of people and challenges. He finds escaped convicts. He participates in celebrations in outlying fishing villages. He battles murderous wild boars. Um, but my favorite parts are when the book incorporates low country folklore, um, specifically Gala folklore, um, with things like plat eyes and haints. Um, so if you don't know anything about low country folklore, then you have lots of amazing things that you can learn about them. That's been one of my favorite things of living here is learning all this, this Gala folklore. And that gives a great sense of otherworldly mystery kind of to the book. It's, it's not, it's not entirely uh, forthright on what's going on at, at every point because of this this um, mysterious element. And all of these experiences are told with these gorgeous, lush descriptions of the low country. So you, you feel the dense jungles of Hunting Island and you can see the Spartina grass along the Beaufort River and you hear the cicadas and you can see the live oaks that are, are hanging with ghostly Spanish moss. So it gives a really great sense of place, and it's very evocative of the low country, both in capturing the natural setting and in, in the folklore. I, I don't know that I've ever read a, a low country book that felt more like like this area really? to me. Yeah, it, it really captured it beautifully. And I think it's a really wonderful debut, and I'm excited to see what's what's coming next from from James McTeer. And yeah, this is, this is a great discovery. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really pleased that, that things have gone so well for him because it's very, very deserved with this book. Okay. It's called Minnow, and the author is James E. McTeer II. I need to add that to my list. Yeah, you definitely do. <laughs> um, my last one is Driftwood Summer by Patty Callahan Henry. And this is the story of three sisters, Riley, Maisie, and Adelie, or Adelie? I'm not sure. 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 Who were raised in a small beach town near Savannah, Georgia. And Riley and Maisie had a fallout when they were younger over a boy named Mac Logan, who they both fell in love with. And Riley stayed in town to help their mother run the small independent bookstore she owns. And Maisie went to California to be an interior designer and still blames Riley for ruining her, her chance with her one true love. The bookstore is kind of in peril. Uh, the finances are in need of a boost. And so their mother has planned a week-long celebration of events to provide a much-needed influx of cash, which she's hoping will keep the bookstore afloat. So the, her mother 
I, it's been a little while since I've read the book. I can't remember if she gets sick or has like an accident and breaks her leg or something like that. I'm not sure, exactly sure. But whatever it is, it takes her out of commission. And Riley has to ask her two sisters to come home to help her manage the celebration and help take care of their mother. And it's their mother's birthday, I believe. And so they're they're planning on coming home anyway, but they weren't planning on helping run mm-hmm. the bookstore and run these celebrations. So there's kind of, there's tension anyway, because... Um, neither of the sisters really wants that have come home really want to be there. Riley doesn't really want to be asking them for their help. Um, and there are all these long standing family issues bubbling underneath the surface. It's told in alternating voices between, between Riley and Maisie. And so it shows the complexities of their relationship as sisters and their history together. And it's, I thought it was very engaging. It's perfect summer read. I love that it took place in a bookstore. So Mm -hmm. there's lots about books and things, of course. It reminded me actually that I, the town, like I said, is supposed to be a small beach town near Savannah, but it reminded me of Beaufort. That's sort Mm -hmm. of what I pictured in my mind when they described describe the town so that's driftwood summer by patty callahan henry oh and i should add that the man who the boy who came between these two sisters of course is in town as well so <laughs> to add uh, just a little bit more uh, tension between them that he's back as well nice so there's like a romance yeah that sounds fun um, all right so we'll be back in just a second with what we're reading this week And what are you reading this week? I am reading a book called People Who Knew Me by Kim Hooper. And this is a story that's told in alternating chapters that take place before and after 9-11. And the before chapters um, are about a woman named Emily Morris who met the love of her life in college and they married young with with huge dreams but not very much money. So they get a cheap apartment in Brooklyn and they plan to follow their dreams one at a time. So they'll alternate who's working while the other one is in school. And this seems like a good plan, but somehow Emily gets stuck with the full-time job for years and years while her husband Drew goes to culinary school and then embarks on a series of career failures, essentially. So that already would put a huge strain on a marriage with with her feeling like she wasn't treated fairly. But things get worse when Drew's mother is diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and she comes to live with them. And I hadn't really realized that Parkinson's is a is is not something that people they'll live for maybe decades with this. And so there's no end in sight for for them to be able to make her as comfortable as possible or to get help for her um, professionally. She, their only option is really to have her live with them. Um, for the foreseeable future and so soon Emily can't stand the sight of her husband um, let alone his mother so because of this she becomes involved with another man and realizes that she's become pregnant by him and decides that she's going to tell Drew everything and leave him for the father of her child but then the morning of September 11th happens and everything changes so she realizes that uh, everyone she knows thought that she was at the World Trade Center and so that she has a chance that doesn't come along every day that she can escape every problem she has by reinventing herself and just allowing them to believe that she died that day. So then the alternating chapters are told in the present day under Emily's new identity of Connie Prynne, who is living as a single mother in California, and she's never told her now teenage daughter any of this this backstory she, um, or anything about her true identity or any of her, her even her name. Um, I think she just lets her think that her dad was a one-night stand and, and 
that's all she's really given her. But she is diagnosed with cancer. And so she's starting to rethink all of these choices that led her up to this point. So this is, I, I really enjoy books that um, have two timelines that kind of pivot Me around. Too. Yeah, they're so compelling. The, there's a, a, an event that everything is pivoting around and you, you find yourself compelled to toward the event and you also understand the aftermath of what, what happened. And that's just, just so engaging to read. So I'm about a third of the way done with the book at this point and there's, there's nothing like, you know, you know, sort of what happens because you've you know these after parts so I haven't given away any spoilers um, but I'm sure that more things are going to happen because there's a lot more of the book to go Um, and so far I'm really impressed with how the author has created an impossible situation between Emily and Drew because they're both at fault and they're both right in in this this arrangement that they have with with taking care of Drew's mother they're they're both kind of justified in how they feel but they're both terrible at the same time which is really interesting and it really leads to thinking about what you would do in that situation and and how how difficult it is to judge people for for the choices they make um and and so that's that's been really interesting to read and and for some reason i don't tend to read a lot of books that cover those issues so it's been kind of fun to explore that and the name of the book is people who knew me by kim hooper that sounds so good yeah it just came out in may i think so it's it's relatively new so should be good um so what i'm reading this week is no one knows by jt ellison and it is a thriller with an unreliable narrator which I love (laughs) so uh, this one is about a woman named Aubrey Hamilton and five years ago she and her husband Josh were at a hotel to attend a wedding and it was the night before the wedding and they he's going to the bachelor party and she's going to a bachelorette party and so they kiss goodbye as they each went their separate ways and then she never sees him again after a few hours it takes a few hours of course to figure out that he's not there and not where he's supposed to be and so they go home and there's blood everywhere and so it suggests that he's the victim of foul play Um, but Aubrey is considered the prime suspect as his wife because her story doesn't quite match what other people remember from that night but no body is his body is never found so now it's five years later and Josh has been declared legally dead by the state of Tennessee even though his body hasn't been found and Aubrey thinks that that's going to bring a sense of closure but it doesn't and she's now sort of seeing people on the street that are reminding her of her husband and she keeps thinking she's actually seeing him and then she meets a man who enters her life that doesn't look anything like him but a lot of his mannerisms remind me remind her of him Mm -hmm. um so she's just feeling like a little like a little crazy like she's going a little bit crazy um so she's questioning her own sanity and as well as reflecting on her marriage and wondering if it was as happy as she actually thought it was and that's about as far as I am. It's tense and it's a page turner. It keeps you guessing the whole time uh, as to what really happened that night, what's really going on in the present day. Because, and of course, you're all hearing it through Aubrey's yeah. perspective, although her mother in law has um, some chapters in there too. So, um, anyway, that's called No One Knows by J.T. Ellison. Oh, that sounds amazing. Good. I want to read that one now. <laughs> All right, so let's go back and mention all the books we talked about today. Okay, so I talked about Swift Currents by David Bruce Grimm, The House on Trad Street by Karen White. Minnow by James E. McTeer II, and what I read this week, or what I'm reading this week, is People Who Knew Me by Kim Hooper. And I talked about The Water is Wide by Pat Conroy, In for a Penny by Catherine Wall, 
Driftwood Summer by Patty Callahan Henry, and No One Knows by J.T. Ellison is the book that I'm reading this week. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com, find us on our Facebook page, or find us on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at beaufortcountylibrary.org slash wellread, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.